Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, the future of news as the BBC warns of bleak times ahead for the World Service without more funding, whilst Emily Bell thinks that journalists and editors should be working more closely with their social media teams. The Radio Academy faces a tricky few months as it attempts to resurrect itself, plus Hattrick and Avalon try to call the BBC's bluff, The Sun's page three debacle, and another unnecessary quiz format is put to the test in our pointless media. Media quiz. This is the Media Podcast, sponsored by Audioboom. Well, with me today at the Hospital Club is the director of the Guardian Edinburgh International Television Festival, Lisa Campbell. Uh, Lisa, preparations presumably well underway for the next festival. Give us a tease. What can you tell us? Uh, Well, we've actually got our 40th launch night coming up in March and we're organising some speakers for that. So we have just signed, this is an exclusive for you. Yes. um, Well, we've got Ben Miller hosting, which is very exciting. Oh, that's very good, yeah. Yeah, Hashtag exclusive, everyone. (laughs) Ben Miller hosting at a uh, pre-Edinburgh Television Festival event. That bit's out there, but the bit yeah. that's oh, new okay. is uh, oh. Ivan Masov, who is uh, recently described by the Telegraph as the gay millionaire businessman coming after Boris's job. So uh, not only is he running for mayor of London, but he's got a really interesting background, self-made millionaire after a very difficult childhood with little education, lost all his money, then rebuilt his career after dealing with alcoholism. Uh, he's been chairman of the Institute of Contemporary Arts, but asked to resign after criticising contemporary art. Bit of a bad move. Um, and he's this is a cam- like the bit Marcus Bentley does on Celeb Big Brother, isn't it, before they go in the house? <laughs> <laughs> Campaigner for gay rights. And this is the best thing. This yeah. is worth waiting for. He's patron of the Skegness Parrot Sanctuary. Nice, Ooh. nice. What's he got to do with telly, though, Lisa? Nothing. It's about inspirational oh. people outside of the industry that you wouldn't... You know, we're all very navel-gazing in telly, so let's hear from people outside the field and, and just, you know, get come away feeling entertained, inspired, whatever. Nice. Okay. And also joining us is one of my favourite naval gazers. It's Matt (laughs) Deegan, uh, radio consultant, creative director of Folder Media. Hello, Matt. Uh, Hi, Ollie. Hello. Have you been playing with the BBC's new Taster website? I had a taster of BBC Taster, Uh boost.co.uk slash taster. Quite nice idea. um, Little different ideas and things that different parts of radio and TV and online uh, are playing with. Uh, And actually, it's good to have a place where if you work for the BBC, you could put something. I was talking to one of the guys who created BBC Radio Explorer, which is kind of hidden away a bit, and it's a beta thing. Never heard of it. Where you can type in any topic, 
and it will pull together all of the on-demand radio bits about that topic. So okay. say you pick chrysanthemums, don't know why I picked that, can't even say it. Um, it will pick something from uh, Garda's Question Time or something from the Radio on Breakfast show or whatever uh, that has that topic. And that is, as you say, a bit lost. So actually having putting it somewhere is useful. Let's start with the World Service, another BBC issue. The corporation launching another salvo in its licence fee settlement campaign this week, asking for more investment for the World Service. The Future of News report warns that if the UK wants the BBC to remain valued and respected, an ambassador of Britain's values and an agent of soft power in the world, then the BBC is going to have to commit to growing the World Service and the government will have to recognise this. Uh, Lisa, we've got Russia Today... Uh, we've got Al Jazeera, we've got Press TV sponsored by Iran uh, these days. There's a lot of competition from that there is, motley you've got crew. To throw China into the mix and all amazingly well funded. So at a time when I think everybody would agree we need independent, impartial, reliable foreign coverage more than ever, uh, it seems absolutely crazy to be to be cutting back on what is unarguably a, a unique asset. That, that Britain has and the BBC has. So, um, you know, the, the way that the licence fee uh, was negotiated last time and kind of daylight robbery, really, sort of taking from the licence fee payer to, you know, to put into the World Service. No consultation about that. That that just happened. It just happened very quickly. And I think that there's serious questions asked about that and um, and hopefully will be addressed in, in the next sort of charter renewal. It seems like they're never going to be able to reverse that now because the BBC said, yes, 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 OK, whatever you want, Mr Cameron, at the time. And it sort of seemed logical, didn't it? It's a BBC branded service that so comes out the licence fee. But as you say, actually, there isn't that much logic to it because the aims of it are for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office to tell the world about Britain. <laughs> But they're not going to be able to argue now for it to come out again, I wouldn't think. It's just a case of more money and they're not going to get that. Well, this is just um, part of licence negotiation, part 87 <laughs> of a 2065 series. Because what the BBC are coming up with is a selection of reasons why you can't cut the licence fee. And the reason we can't cut the licence fee is that um, we'll cut back on the World Service, which would be a terrible thing, wouldn't it? Because they know that all the Tories are not going to agree to a cut, of the, a cut of the World Service. So it's just another way for them to say, well, you can't take away our money or else we will chop off the service that goes to insert country here. And they have also allowed advertising and sponsorship um, within the World Service for the first mm. time. That was part of the, the arrangement, wasn't it? So, you know, arguably they should be working harder on that front and bringing in more money on the commercial side. Yes, if you listen to the World Service, I think in Berlin you get um, ads sold by the BBC. I wonder what would happen if Russia today wanted to advertise on the BBC. Well, that's an amazing new revenue source. <laughs> Get all those, all those broadcasters. Uh, all of this is part of a conversation from a new website, The Future of News, which the BBC has put together. Have you had a look at that as well, Matt? I haven't had a look yet, but I think it's... Um the BBC are excellent at this. This is all about timing. The BBC make excellent programmes, uh, they have excellent services. What they are best at is ensuring their own survival uh, and having a number of people, lots of people working on that. And of course, there'll be some benefit for the rest of the organisation into reevaluating what is news. Uh, but also, it doesn't half help when you're trying to uh, renew a £3 billion a year beast. I'm sure I remember a sketch in the day today where someone just kept repeatedly saying, is this news? Is this news? <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like what they're doing now, touching except on, corporately. Touching on some of that World Service stuff, I know that there was a, a test in one of the countries where uh, it was getting hard to broadcast to, uh, so they decided to launch a new service on Facebook. I think they've done the same thing with WhatsApp as well. You know, what is a platform for news 
isn't just kind of radio and TV masts. You know, if a, an area does not get um, something that's unique and different and independent, uh, you don't need to spin up a multi-million pound radio or TV station. Actually, Facebook Newsfeed can do part of that job as well. I mean, it is all about the competition from the online players now, isn't it, with Vice and BuzzFeed and all of that. And clearly the BBC is starkly aware of that, especially given that Newsbeat is, is about to be relaunched and reinvented and, and just much more focused on bringing news to a younger audience and, and really helping the BBC compete in that area. And a younger audience kind of means they don't watch telly news anymore, but then this report's talking about how important the bulletins are and they will be moving forward. Do you think there's a, just the beginning of a discussion here about maybe one day something like BBC News Channel just won't be relevant anymore? I think the BBC News Channel is... Um ends up being a spine doesn't it it's a spine to the rest of uh, the material whether that's pop up whether that's one o'clock the one o'clock six o'clock and ten o'clock news or having to be able to cover stuff that's breaking where do people consume news you know, tv is watched predominantly by older people uh more and more you know the volume that they consume it works for, for, for older audiences all of the bbc's public service value needs to be in all of the places where all of their different audiences are including young people i mean young people still watch a huge amount of tv but it's how you how do you use iplayer to tell people about the public service content and they're not just skipping it to to go to family guy now it's no longer broadcast on bbc3 the numbers uh, for the news bulletins show that they're actually healthy you know mm. it's not it's not as though they're traditional 10 o'clock or anything is, is really falling away so um you know it's it's about i think understanding where the market is headed and providing for both those audiences yeah well speaking of the future of news uh, and social in particular friend of the show emily bell delivered the hugh cudlip lecture this week she used the platform to discuss the relationship between journalists and social media how journalists need to understand that programmers are now the ones making editorial decisions. Uh, She said the social media team is no longer the group of people bullying you to tweet your story, but now key to the operation of how and what you report. I guess my question, Matt, is whether that actually pushes the news agenda in a slightly more populist way, takes it away from what you should be reporting and what you think might go viral. Someone's always chosen the news headlines. Someone's always chosen what we should cover and what we shouldn't cover. It isn't that man smoking in his office uh, while shouting at the backbench anymore. Uh, it might be people looking at some Twitter statistics and going, hey, this is, we should be on this. Why haven't we written something SEO bait that can, that can get people through the door? Clearly, brands have to decide what they're in for. You know, we, we know that BuzzFeed creates some really interesting material itself, but it also cleverly curates lots of things and we understand that we know that the sun will have a sensational slant on a story Uh, we might learn that uh, vice or even the telegraph actually is posting sort of clickbait uh, topics to get people to consume it i think as media literate consumers they'll start to realize what everyone's doing yeah lisa do you think this delineation between what's the internet and what's in the papers and what's social and what's editorialized do you think that's just going to slightly disappear as the years go on yes i do actually yeah i think i think it will all just become one one big pot and um to be honest whatever emily bell says i agree with her wise <laughs> words i bow down before her i always have she's amazing hello yes, be her name <laughs> yeah, i think it's really interesting there's always a danger though that once there's a story on twitter and everybody goes mad for it and then yes. they all they all leap onto it and often it can be completely wrong and unfounded and people need to sort of just pause a bit before they get carried away in the frenzy and we've seen the traditional 
media being caught up in that and making massive errors several times. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, confession, when I'm planning my LBC show, the first thing I do is click on the Discover tab on Twitter and I see the stories that are trending amongst the people that I follow. But I think it's really important although you might use that as the bedrock for what you're doing to look and see what else is going on as well because you've got your followers who might be a certain type of person who are interested in the thing all talking to each other about something. If you look at the BBC top stories, you know, it's always like goats trapped in shed or or whatever. (laughs) It doesn't just mean that people are are obsessed with goat shed based stories. Uh, It's something that, that they like. And actually what you might find is that might do well because of um, some programming. Now, there might be a story about Gaza, but that might be split over five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten articles. It doesn't necessarily mean that people aren't interested in the topic. I think it's it's easy to let programmatical choices apparently dictate what's popular when you can look at these things more broadly. But it was quite worrying uh, a report I think someone looked into recently about partiality especially with the public service broadcasters and the fact that popular topics get so much coverage at the expense of maybe more important issues so the example given was the Madeleine McCann story which you know seven years or so after she went missing has had acres and acres of coverage on broadcast media as well as the print press compared to the environment which has had 0.000% so I think it's things like that where you know populism driving the news agenda Mm. is a a bad thing. And if I may just hook and tease we will have the latest on the goat in the shed later in the show and you won't believe what happened next Uh, but first uh, let's talk about the Radio Academy, the charity that runs events and workshops for the radio industry but it's had a turbulent couple of years uh, first losing their main sponsor Sony, which meant they lost money on the usually profitable awards ceremony. Then it announced that this year's May ceremony was to be cancelled. And after Chairman Ben Cooper called an emergency general meeting in December, to be honest, things weren't much clearer, but we did learn that all but one member of staff had been let go. Now, another meeting has been called for February. Uh, Matt, this is kind of of great interest to people in the radio industry and probably not at all of interest to anyone else, but it kind of should be, shouldn't it? Because it's quite a big deal what was the Sony Awards now essentially not happening at the moment. It's lovely to have an awards ceremony that both the BBC and commercial radio can enter, uh, that is the gold standard for the radio industry. It doesn't really matter if that's sponsored by Sony or whether even the Radio Academy uh, produce it. Um, And historically, actually, only... Up till a few years ago, did the Radio Academy start making it a different? A, a, an individual company used to make it called Zafer Associates. Uh, it's nice to have an event. That's number one. Uh, number two, it's also nice to have an association where which brings together people from BBC commercial, student radio, community sector. And there's always been a demand for that informally, formally. You know, if you if you go to Manchester uh, to see some, if I go and see someone from a radio station in the pub, someone else from a different radio station will be there and people are friends and it's nice to have that uh, social part of it. So, so if it's nice, what's gone wrong? Well, what's happened is there's been uh, a change to how it was funded. So historically, Radio Academy was funded by the members. You pay 25 quid or whatever it was and you uh, became a member each year. The money was collected from you. Then a few years ago, there was a view to try and engage more people uh, they talked to the radio groups and said well why don't you fund the radio academy they're already they're already putting some money why don't you put a bit more money and then all of your staff then become free members as a way to engage and that's been relatively relatively successful problem is now that was at a point where there were five six seven big radio groups each chucking in 20 grand or 30 grand or so uh, whereas now what was 
GWR, Chrysalis Capital and GMG is all one company. It's all global radio. And probably quite rightly, they're going, well, should we be spending four times the money to to do that? And then suddenly the thing that the Radio Academy was built on has to shift and change. Um, I think what hasn't helped in the last 12 months is... Sony Awards announced the Radio Academy Awards uh, losing the sponsor uh, meant that I lost a little bit of money. I mean, nothing, I think, to worry about at all, but took a bit of a loss. Then the Radio Festival also took a bigger loss. And that's because the radio industry is changing and the kind of people that go to that big event. I'm sure you're going to see this at the, at the TV festival as well. It needs to, to evolve for the industry it's got. So it had two big losses and that pretty much wiped it out. You then had the trustees saying, we're not sure whether they want to put the money in anymore. And then that's left it at a point where it's like, what's the next thing so I believe there's going to be a a general meeting called soon uh, which will be a sort of once and for all decision about what's next I'm sort of away from it I'm slightly relaxed I feel that there is always going to be an association it might not be this incarnation and I hope this hope that they kind of get everything together but if it doesn't you know, someone will put their hand up and go, right, here's a, we'll start with a mailing list and we'll build out from there. Uh, and then we'll create something that hopefully radio groups want to support. You know, someone will organise an award ceremony. Uh, it might be the industry, it might be someone else. And if it's got the gold standard, people will support it. Lisa, what do you think that the radio industry can learn from, uh, as Matt suggested, what you do in Edinburgh with the TV festival? Mm, um, I suppose remaining engaged with the industry and I guess we haven't had the same sort of consolidation in TV, but I mean, that is that is happening, but it's a bigger industry to begin with. Um, but this, in the same way, the TV festival is a festival by the TV industry for the TV industry. So, you know, the, the programme is helped to be shaped by them. Some of the, the support, the resource, the people that actually work on it are all producers working and, and doing it on a voluntary basis. So there's an incredible amount of goodwill towards it. And I think hopefully there is in the radio industry as well. And once people see something's under threat, they'll pull out all the stops to do something about it. I do wonder how much of it comes down to ticket price as well, because the thing about the TV industry is A, a the industry is bigger. B, the people who are the top executives are earning probably five times what the top executives are earning in radio. And C, Certainly the dog's bodies working on a general programme are are earning far less in radio. And yet, you know, the big radio events, what was the Sony Awards and the radio festival, were charging the kind of figures, three-figure numbers, that you'd charge people who work in telly to go to a conference when, frankly, people in radio can't afford it. Yeah, to to defend that slightly, I think um, any big radio, any big awards ceremony, uh, you know, costs 100 quid to go. I mean, that's all all similar. Um, It was about 275, though, wasn't uh, it? It was a lot. That's a lot. For it someone who works... And bear in mind, if you were nominated, you had to pay to go. Well, I think... First I think, of all, you had to pay to go. And I, what, I mean, if it was 20 quid a ticket, I imagine, they'd have five times the amount of people going. Then. I imagine 95% of the people that uh, are nominated for awards who get to go, their companies pay for them. If you're nominated for a podcaster of the year category... Don't turn this into me. And haven't got a... Um, <laughs> I'm not talking about myself. Uh, but, no, but I think if, if, if for smaller individuals, yes, of course it is. But I think that would be the, the same for anything. I think for festival... The problem with the radio festival is even 10 years ago, there were five times as many bosses. Mm. And so you could, uh, and, and they're expensive events to put on, you know, three days somewhere, all of the elements getting people there, it's, it's expensive to do. But there were more people who could go. I think now there are less people who, who have got that, that much money to go to that, to that sort of event. Me and a colleague run a, a smaller radio event, Next Radio, and we try and keep the, the money down. It's about 100 quid, 125 quid to go. It is really hard to mm. keep it that cheap. Mm. And, you know, that times three days 
you're instantly at 350 375 it's expensive what i used to love about the awards was you had all the radio stars there but you would have someone from local radio beating chris evans to you know presenter of the year or some new talent podcast talent whatever you know being showcased in front of the industry like that and i think it was just such an important thing to give new talent that sort of support and profile absolutely i think the the one thing that might happen you've got the Gillard Awards for the BBC for local radio you've got the Archiva Awards which is a coming which is becoming a really great ceremony for commercial radio you can argue do you need a ceremony that brings everyone together is it a luxury at the moment and I would say no it is a luxury it is something that should happen but there are some other uh, good award ceremonies to go to as well okay that's enough uh, conference talk we'll be talking about voluptuous bare boobs after this This episode of the Media Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Squarespace's all-in-one hosting and design service allows you to create one-off sites for your new series, campaign, or online store in minutes. And with Squarespace 7, you have access to professional photography with Getty Images, so you'll never have to spend so long looking for the right shot again. Plans start at $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for one year. For a free trial with no credit card required, head to squarespace.com now. And you'll get 10% off a monthly or annual plan by using the code MEDIAPOD at the checkout. Now, numerologists beware, this week we had media stories about BBC Three, the three televised leader debates, and page three. Uh, Lisa, Matt, where would you like to start on my wheel of threes? Oh, well, what gets me fired up is page three, obviously. No, great, OK, <laughs> let's start with page three. This was a really weird story, wasn't it? And it's all happened, uh, such as the nature of being a fortnightly podcast, since our last 
show. So the, the, what appeared to be the last ever topless page three model appeared in the sun uh, and then promptly came back again. But in, in the intermittent period, uh, everyone reported that that was the end of page three and the campaigners started celebrating. Uh, hundreds of column inches were written. There was a marked increase in subscribers to page3.com. Uh, before we move on to your personal feelings, Lisa, do you think this was the plan right from the start? It seems like a car crash to me, but do you think they actually intended the sun to do this? Take it away, put it back, get some coverage. Well, I mean, refusing to answer the request confirming whether it had or had not dropped page three suggests, yes, it was, you know, plan for right from the start just purposefully anti-pc I mean, you know there's a reason for political correctness and uh, it's not just some crazy leftist notion um, it's because page three can't be justified and you know especially we're in a very different world from the world when page three launched 45 years ago when you can get cheap titillation on your handset at any time you like so anyway beyond that um i think just the way it brought it back in spectacularly schoolboy like fashion we've had a mammary lapse um you know tweeting images of nicole 22 from bournemouth to harriet harman things like that so just nasty childish defiant but moronically defiant except we heard that a senior source and all of that people seem to suggest this had come directly from rupert murdoch himself had said in new york now is the time to end page three do you think all of that stuff matt was just untrue or do you think rupert murdoch personally changed his mind i think it it was all a gag all intended what what i find amazing is when it was all announced everyone assumed it was ending I think there was a, a, a positive feeling towards yeah. the sun that, like, not just like finally they've done it, but like they've they're, they're now with with everyone and we're moving on and that's and that's kind of a good thing. And okay, they'll get a little bit of a, a kick for having done it, but almost well done. And and then it, it was sort of calmed down and then kind of ha ha, uh, we joked. They just seem like idiots. I mean, they just it now makes them seem so old fashioned. Like you could kind of justify it carrying on. You can't justify it carrying on, but I could see them justifying like it's always been there you know it's historic it's it's regular it's blah 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 blah. but then to kind of pretend to turn it off and then bring it back just highlights just how old-fashioned it all is well except for this conversation we're having i mean you know if the purpose of page three in 1971 or whatever it was was to be anti-establishment and as you rightly pointed out it become something that was old-fashioned and kind of retro the fact that they took it away the establishment said hooray and then they brought it back does look like an up yours to all of the guardian readers which is sort of the point of it but even if it is do any of the Sun readers who like Page Three care? Do they uh, listen to Radio Four? Do they watch Newsnight? Um, do they listen to the media podcasts? You know, they're oblivious to it. It doesn't. It makes a difference. It's like a. I mean, newspapers are the worst for writing about themselves, and this is almost the ultimate insider story, isn't it? In, in the media. <laughs> it kind of is, which is why I love it. Uh, Lisa? Yeah, so it's a great, it's a publicity triumph, isn't it? And and actually, was it a victory for women? Yes, it, of course it was. It felt like a victory at the time. But they put bikini-clad celebs in there. The kind of negative portrayal of women in the media goes on and on. And, and ending page three, you know, wasn't going to end that. So um, it was a sort of somewhat limited victory anyway and then cruelly snatched away i felt sorry for the daily star there was a day wasn't there it looked like the daily star was suddenly gonna get finally an increase in circulation uh well you know i I have my moments uh okay uh, right next on the wheel of threes what would you like matt you get to choose this time you can have bbc three or you can have the three televised leader debates Uh, bbc three bbc three okay let's talk about that on the day the bbc trust began a public consultation on the future of bbc three two production companies that provide shows for the channel that's uh 
Marlon, who make Russell Howard's Good News, and Hattrick, who produce The Revolution, will be televised, uh, have actually proposed a takeover. They've proposed buying the channel, honouring all of its current service licences, and increasing its budget from £81 million to £100 million. Uh, Lisa, rather like page three, people have said (laughs) this was just a publicity stunt. Was it? Uh, well, they claim it's not a not a PR stunt. Um, it's a very valid point that it's important to have a platform for new talent. You know, they point to people like Matt Lucas, David Walliams, Ruth Jones. Uh, you know, so comedy is clearly important. But I would also point out, in terms of factual, they've had incredible success there, bringing very difficult subjects to a younger audience, making it really accessible from mental health, drugs, war, um, you know, established new names, Stacey Dooley, Reggie Yates. So, um, you know, I, I do think there's a there's a really valid point there. And also the point about moving BBC Three online. It's a real issue around visibility with, with online. You need the big stars. They haven't got the money for that. How do you stand out in, in that sort of crowded marketplace? You know, the idea that Netflix got Kevin Spacey on board precisely for that reason, have a big star that that pulls in the crowds. And then the other issue is the opening the doors to commercialisation. If you sell off one bit of the BBC, then it all goes down. But practical levels, uh, there are a whole load of issues. I mean, they, they can't have the BBC Three brand, the EPG slot. So how it will be workable financially getting in the numbers, all the rights issues. I mean, it's, there's a myriad of complex... Also, uh, they know it's never going to happen, don't they? I mean, this is like Sky News saying we want to buy BBC Parliament or Global mm-hmm. saying we want to buy Radio 2. You know, of course you could run it commercially, but obviously it means the beginning of the end of the BBC. Well, in that case, it's kind of naive to, to, to put the bid across. Though it does raise the important issue. I think there is an important issue. Um, should BBC 3 in effect, actually become deaf too. This is what they're really doing. You know, all new BBC Three programming is going to be on BBC One and BBC Two, and then some iPlayer exclusives. All they're basically saying is, if only got thirty million quid now to spend on programming, it's still going to be on broadcast television. And there's going to be less of it, and it's going to be in trendy, youthful bits on <laughs> One and Two. The other guys, if they if if they want to run a, a channel like this, because they're saying they pay a hundred million pounds for it, and then they put hundred million into the budget each year. You know what? 100 million quid to market a new channel that buy you a lot of marketing if you want to set up a BBC3 alike because you can't have as Elise said you can't have the EPG and you can't have anything else if you really want to set a BBC3 alike just do it all the people will come to you anyway if you're going to spend 100 million on content a year and 100 million to kick off the marketing done you'll go straight to number one Okay, we've talked about the fun stuff, we've done the tits, we've done the telly, now we're going to have to do the TV debates, I'm afraid. Uh, This week marked 100 days until the UK general election, uh, and with threats from the broadcasters to empty chair David Cameron if he didn't take part, uh, pressure was building to find a solution. It looked like we finally had the solution. Applied Cymru, the Greens, the SNP and UKIP now included, alongside the Tories, Labour and the Lib Dems, uh, with Sky and Channel 4 still hoping to host a head-to-head with David Cameron and Ed Miliband, hosted by Jeremy Paxman, which obviously will be the only one really worth watching. Uh, but now there's this all this issue about do we include uh, the Northern Irish parties as well. Matt, is this ever going to reach a conclusion, do you think? And will it work? And will we get TV debates? And if we do, will they be watchable? I've seen Borgen. I know how this works. <laughs> uh, 17 people lining up. They answer one question and then it's the end. Mm. And then the news anchor snogs the news uh, leader. That's how it works. Um, it works in Danish. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. And there needs to be <laughs> subtitles, then it's fine. 
I mean, it's it's political posturing. It's like, geez, there's 100 days to go to the election and we already want to kill ourselves. There will be some debates of some sort. The, the Conservatives want the Greens in uh, because the Greens potentially are Labour's UKIP. That's the plan. And the more people, the more people on there, the less chance um, Ed Miliband has of dragging his uh, likability up. You know, the fewer questions he gets, the harder that becomes. So the, the Tories are going to push for uh, as many people as possible. And Labour pretty much are going to accept it. We're not going to have the DUP and um, Sinn Féin. In. Really? Because in a way, I kind of think if they get part of it as well, then I want the whole hog. I want all 30 leaders. I want respect there. I want the BNP. I want Britain first. I want the Christian Democrats. I want uh, the Whigs. Well, I want the monster raving loonies. I think it'd be a hilarious. It would well, be almost like sort of The Apprentice, but for politics. I think maybe halfway through, uh, whoever's the the invigilator moderator should go. And now the political leaders where you live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad idea for the Scottish ones. Absolutely, Lisa. How do you feel about all of this? Well, I think as you've very cleverly pointed out in your intro, is you know three is the magic number. There's a rule of three in mm. TV, radio, podcasts, whatever. And we've we've already got seven on stage, possibly eight or. Three. 30 if you get your way um so you know i can imagine tv producers tearing their hair out at the thought of this how do they make it workable how is it not going to be terribly unwieldy um what sort of depth context insight are you going to get it's just going to be a string of sound bites and we all mm. know who the king of sound bites is so welcome to number 10 ukip <laughs> wow that's a bold prediction from lisa gamble i wonder as well the bit that made my heart slightly kind of stop and my blood run cold was hearing grant shapps on radio 4 the other day saying that the thing that was left to be ironed out was discussions with the broadcasters as if you know sort of tone was still to be discussed never mind who's on the stage and you just think that's what made it quite boring last time, was that they clearly said no cutaways, no applause. You know, if there's more of that going on, it really becomes very sterile, doesn't it? Well, the political situation is moving quite fast. Coalitions, multi-party uh, governments, all, those, all that kind of stuff. And the politicians are making a guess about what's going to happen in this campaign. And I think they've, they're making the wrong guess. So they're trying to get the debate, or David Cameron's trying to get the debates out really early on. As soon as the campaign really gets going, uh, particularly driven by social, everything they say is going to be chopped up and the piss ripped out of them by the public. And they're going to be begging to have longer form discussions <laughs> with the public about who they are. Because if they thought they were good at sound bites, the public get very good at sound bites on, on social and shared and, and pushed. And, and you know, it's not about the kind of Twitter arty sort of media end, but you know, putting that stuff on Facebook mm. uh, and the kind of Britain first people have great, you know, Facebook reach because they have a really clever social media strategy of celebrating Britain and putting in horrible views at the same time. I think that the, the, the big parties will want to talk to the public. That's a really interesting point. And there's the Facebook debate that actually is happening, I think, um, this week or next week. Facebook and Sky doing a co-produced Q&A with, at the moment, Ed Miliband, Nick Clegg and Natalie Bennett. Lisa, is that the shape of things to come, more social stuff like that? Yeah, definitely. And I think I think that point is, is completely right. This social is really exciting. I mean, I can't wait to see the uh, the Facebook questions that come in for the politicians. I think we, that's going to be very amusing. Clearly, they're going to have to vet those. Does Natalie like Grumpy Cat? <laughs> Uh, no, the internet's a very serious place, uh, as we prove. Uh, right, moving from threes to twos now, Radio 2, uh, because they've announced another pop-up sister station on DAB. Uh, as the name implies, pop-up, this is a very, very temporary thing, like their Eurovision station. This time it's for country music. Uh, Matt, what can you tell us about this? Uh, I love a bit of Nashville. Yeah. A trashy TV. I've got, straight, got right into country music off the back of that. Um, country's having a bit of a resurgence. It does well on Radio 2, though, 
only in smaller smaller doses. Radio Centre, uh, in one of their reviews of the BBC, said that that's the kind of specialist music the BBC should do more of. Mm. Uh, and hey, presto, six months later, there's a pop-up station supporting, I think it's C2C, which is the big country music It is. Conference. Despite all appearances, uh, I am a country music fan, and uh-huh. I went to C2C, which is the big country music event at the O2 last year. Uh, and yeah, it's noticeable that it's getting bigger and bigger every year. Bob Harris comes on stage and introduces each of the acts. So it kind of makes sense for country fans, but you can look at Radio 2 and say, they've cut overnight programming. Do they need to well, produce this? I know talking to, to the guys who did the Eurovision pop-up channel, the actual cost of that was minuscule, uh, even in BBC terms was minuscule, because they have so much infrastructure to support existing radio and TV programmes that actually it becomes a really efficient use of the of the talent that are out there. You know, you're not going to put all of C2C on the main Radio 2, that will annoy too many people. So you've got the DAB spectrum, uh, you've got the talent, and they're, they're rerunning some older country documentaries as well, some newer stuff so that they're reusing that material and it's great for digital radio a new station pops up for people really interested in country to be able to to hear something different i think there's a really surprising resurgence actually because i was listening to six music the other day and mike skinner was doing a guest presenting slot and he was talking about how much country music had influenced him doing the street stuff and uh, it's all about the stories and he played loads of stuff it was uh you know a real surprise but you know that was on Six Music and Mike Skinner loves it I think you know open it up to everyone yeah, actually talking of Skinner's Frank Skinner loves country music doesn't he Does why have absolutely not leapt on this and no, done a country a, show no, with him that's a Radio 2 documentary yeah. uh, it is though isn't it <laughs> I'd totally listen to that uh, anyway right there is now finally just time for the media quiz we need a sting there needs to be a sting something some real actually, over the top I, I quite like the sound of uh, dust blowing <laughs> through the room there as I sit there um, <laughs> this week it is entitled Penalty Shootout it's football themed mm. it's exciting isn't it we're all sports fans um, there are a few sports stories this week in the media so what better way says the script to wrap them up than with a football related quiz uh, each player will take turns to shoot by asking a question to the other who must deflect it with the answer Take too long to answer and the goal will be allowed. Don't ask me uh, how the offside rule works because I cannot tell you. Uh, The winner gets Claire Balding. Matt, you are to go first. Take a shot at Lisa with this question. Which broadcaster this week announced it wants to screen highlights of the Cricket World Cup? That was ITV2. It was actually slightly an own goal. Because it was ITV, but it's for ITV4 that wants to uh, show the sport, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What do we do? Do we have a half point for that? I think hit the post and in. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Producer Matt has allowed it. I'm not sure I would. No, uh, I Lisa, either. your turn to take a shot at Matt. Which presenter are BT Sport looking to host their Champions League coverage next year? I think that's crisp fan Gary Lineker. It is, and a point to Matt, so we're we're equals. Do you think that's going to happen, uh, really? I mean, he does do stuff for NBC, he does stuff for Al Jazeera. It's not unthinkable the BBC may say, all right. It's a weird story, isn't it? I mean, where did that come from? Does it help Gary Lineker's re-signing for the BBC? There's interest from the people with all the money. Mm. Is it BT Sport saying, we're going to need something because we're going to win some more rights? Um, or is it just an over-enthusiastic junior person who let it slip? If I was Good his agent, question. I'd kind I, of want gonna, people to know. I've missed the net. I don't know the answer to yeah. that. <laughs> OK, now it's sudden death. Uh, Matt, here's your question shot for Lisa to defend with the current answer. Does this still make sense? From a football point of view. It was good in paper. Okay. Uh, which startup camera company has partnered with America's National Hockey League? 
oh, this is GoPro, and they're going to do... Go! <laughs> Sorry, I'm always a bit late. <laughs> so, yes, so great putting cameras up so we get the point of view of the uh, the hockey players much more immersive and exciting and shows the intensity of hockey and hopefully we'll be able to see what is going on because I can never see the ball thing puck whatever you call it <laughs> <laughs> some real sport expertise going on here my god football weekly are going to be quaking in their boots um final question to matt okay lisa can put this one adrian charles is to be replaced as itv's main football anchor but who is replacing him oh don't know. Yes, brilliant. Baller. Well, that's good because no, then it would be equals, wouldn't it? Makes the game work. Lisa has won. 2 1. How do you feel? Um, I win Claire Balding. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Who wouldn't be happy with that? <laughs> the answer was Five Lives Mark Pugach, uh, who will continue to work at BBC Five Live, but apparently is going to take over from Adrian Charles on ITV. No word as to uh, what ITV are going to do with Adrian Charles, though. Less. Yeah, uh, yeah, but <laughs> it can't be much less, really, unless he opens the door for people as they come into the building. Well, he's got a lot to do on Five Live now. Yeah, he has. Wow, there's a lot of money they spent on him, wasn't it? Mm. Mm. Anyway, uh, Lisa Campbell, congratulations. Well done. Do you feel happy? I feel very excited, thank you, yes. Yeah, that, that, which is exactly what uh, all the big football teams say when they win the Cup. Uh, that is I it. I, I don't think that quiz is going to series. I just want to no, <laughs> I, think, I think if that was on the BBC Taster website, it would get quite a few yeah. thumbs down. Adrian Charles could present oh, it, maybe. it might work. Well, that's it for today. My thanks to Lisa Campbell and to Matt Deegan. Uh, we'll be back next week with a little bonus edition, uh, and then normal service will be restored a fortnight later. Confused? You didn't be, because you can get every episode as soon as it's ready by subscribing at themediapodcast.com and remember we're on Twitter as well at themediapodcast or you can like our page on Facebook this week's episode is dedicated to Andrew Jennings a vision mixer on a variety of programmes I've seen your name in the credits uh, and to Robert Droy uh, who is proud to be supporting the media podcast uh, thank you Robert we are proud to have you uh, I've been Ollie Mann the producer Matt Hill until next time bye bye